0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's Ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
1: Mitch McConnell has been Kentucky Senator since Beth and I were three years old. We have some thoughts about our lifetimes of being represented by him. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth
0: from the right. You're listening to Sue Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Briefcase, our special shorter Friday show. We try to quickly sum up the news, but usually we go off the rails and it's way longer than my executive producer husband would like. But hey, that's the way the world works these days. Before we get started, we wanted to encourage everyone to heck check out our patreon.com page forward slash Pantsuit Politics. We are trying to raise $3,000. That's our goal for our monthly sponsorships to help us make Pantsuit Politics be in the black and help us sustain the cost um, of producing the show. So if you'd like to help out, you can head on over there and get all kinds of extra benefits from t-shirts to extra bonus episodes, uh, weekly emails, all kinds of things. So that's patreon.com forward slash pantsuit politics.
0: We wanted to mention the situation in North Korea and how it's escalating. Apparently North Korea has launched a test missile that demonstrates intercontinental ballistic capabilities. The State Department has said that a missile like this one could be capable of reaching Alaska. And the Trump administration's rhetoric seems to indicate that all options are on the table, including additional pressure on China and possible
1: military options. So I started reading an article about this and then I stopped because it scared me so bad. So that's where I'm at on North Korea. I'm trying to pretend everything's fine and people, smart people have this under control.
0: What we are hearing right now is similar to what we hear about Syria all the time. The sort of, there are no good options line. And I think that I don't know what the options are and what would work and what would not work. I'm not sure that I'm clear on what the goals are. I think that if I were president Trump, I would use the incredible resources that I have in a number of living former presidents and get them all together to talk about this situation. I think that having a room filled with President Carter, President Bush, um President Obama, President Clinton, would be the most helpful way for me to organize my thinking about this topic.
1: I don't think he's going to do that,
0: but that's what I would do. <laughs> um,
1: I, I don't find the like sort of what Obama did, what would we do exercises. I just find them extra depressing in this scenario because there's just so much at stake. I, I, I did have a small moment where I was reading about the current situation when I thought, okay. There are people in North Korea surround as crazy as Kim Jong-un is. Is that his, that's the right way to pronounce his name. Mm -hmm. As crazy as he is, I have to remind myself that there are people around him that might not have the final call. I know it's a dictatorship, but like they want to live. Surely they understand that as crazy as he is, and as most certainly is he is, he is to execute them. If he doesn't, they don't do what he wants. Like, I don't know. I just try to make myself feel better, but like, it's really not just him. There's a lot of people there that are hopefully doing whatever they can to prevent this as well. And there's a lot more people than just Donald Trump here pulling the levers and making these decisions. I don't know. I was just trying to think of anything that made myself, this filthless less dire.
0: I've read as much as I can find about Kim Jong-un and his motivations. And there are some big unknowns which is why my step one of assembling all of our sort of institutional knowledge about the presidency is incomplete because you're going to have a room full of people who know Kim Jong-il better than his son. I also think it would be incomplete because I do feel that cyber warfare is an extremely important part of this equation. And so if I were President Trump, first thing would be a former president's summit. Second thing would be a cybersecurity summit and a cyber warfare summit. I would want to talk about what are our defensive and offensive postures using technology here. Because I, when I hear expert after expert say that we do not have a good military option, and I hear that in multiple contexts, right? I hear it in Syria, I hear it in North Korea. I think to myself, are we ever going to have a good military option again? Probably not in the traditional sense. Yeah. No way. So let's get together and figure out what the new path looks like, especially in a situation like this. Thirdly, I would want to talk with China and South Korea. I also think, though, that our traditional sanctions and trade mechanisms are probably going to stop being good options as they've been in the past. We've we've done that, right? So. I think that this is a moment when the Trump administration would be well served by stepping way back and doing what Donald Trump said in hugely oversimplified terms he was going to do in a lot of different contexts, which is sort of throw out the old playbook and see what works in today's world. I haven't seen him do that on anything yet. This would be a really nice starting place.
1: Well, from your lips to his ears.
0: I want to talk about another playbook that needs to just be tossed really briefly. Have you seen, Sarah, the video posted by Clay Higgins, the Louisiana Republican congressman who bizarrely made a campaign video in a gas chamber at Auschwitz?
1: I did just check this out. I am appalled and disgusted and... Is nothing sacred? I feel like there's been a several sort of Auschwitz nephews with people taking selfies and people doing other things. Like, uh, I have a feeling this is th- there will be more of these before everybody finally gets the message about sacred spaces. If I'm waxing philosophically, I think it's because we um, lack a sort of cultural or we are losing a cultural understanding about sacred spaces because, um, and this is where I start to sound like my 82 year old grandmother, because I think sort of a slowing church attendance and a, um, sort of lessening with the standards of how to act in church and what to wear in church. Again, I know I sound like my 82 year old grandmother, but I do think that stuff's important. And I think we lose that. I don't think that's all bad because I think it opens up the gates to some people, but these are some, I think this is some of the honest repercussions here. I think that, well, what
0: came to mind for me was how uncomfortable I was with all the selfies at Stonehenge, Mm. because that felt like a sacred space to me. And I didn't like the, I don't like this. I document, therefore I exist that we're Mm. living in now, even though I'm part of it and I contribute to it. I think about this all the time. So Clay Higgins says today, now that people have pointed out to him that this was a terrible idea, that he felt very humbled in the space, that it reminded him of evil forces in the world, that it strengthened his commitment to keeping America safe. Listen, you just, if that is your genuine, sincere reaction, I'm going to take that at face value you have got to surround yourself with people who will tell you no about things if you yeah. are going to be in public life and that's true for you on the city Commission and to for Congress and for the president and everyone who enters the public domain you have got to surround yourself with some con- confidants who will say to you bad idea before you do anything and I think that that goes double in our social media era where it's quick and easy to hit send on something. You know, Just, mm-hmm. I I I don't know how to talk about this with all of my true emotion without turning into a version of lecture porn. It would be easy to just rail against this guy. I think the best thing for us to say is he made a very very poor decision and I'm glad he's retracted it and I think the condemnation is important. I also think though that this speaks to people feeling like they have to do some extreme things to break through the public noise. Mm -hmm. And we've got to figure that out too. Yeah, I can see that. We want to move on uh, to talking about our Senator in the next section, but before we do, we had one piece of feedback that you wanted to chat about Sarah.
1: Yeah, we got a great email um, about sort of the, well, I got more than one about the inability to feel patriotic or like struggling to feel patriotic after our July 4th episode. And I totally understand where everybody is coming from. Um, Tom sent me an email that he was, he felt like he was unable to compromise and that, you know, he couldn't feel like he shared a space or could feel like patriotic with people that were racist or homophobic. And um, I also got a really great email from Gabrielle, about her concerns about sort of the indigenous populations we displaced when we came to America. And I totally get that. And I think that, you know, you have to, to me, I think it's, it's usually a problem with how we define patriotic. I do not think patriot patriotism means blind acceptance. Anything worth loving is complicated and will hurt you and messes up from time to time. And America is no different. She is deeply flawed and problematic and gets so much wrong. And I just think that I kind of I think about it like I do any by any person I love or any institution I love that anything comprised of human beings is going to be like the human beings themselves and deeply, deeply flawed. And I'm okay with that. And I love my husband, even though he's deeply flawed. And I love my church, even though it's deeply flawed. And so I feel the same way about America.
0: I had a conversation with someone today about how painful it is, but also how freeing it is when you start to realize that there aren't really heroes and villains.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we were talking about someone who this person and I would both put kind of in the hero bucket. And I said, you know, the thing is our capacity to see the flaws in someone that we love increases our capacity to see the strengths in someone we don't love. And I think it's like, you know, if you're a musician, a lot of times sopranos are told to work on the lower end of their vocal register because as you perfect the lower end of the register, the higher end gains power also. Right. And that's kind of what I think about America, your capacity to see those flaws, to look at the history, to see how problematic it is to be genuine and honest in your critiques of where we are can also increase your ability to love it and be patriotic. And, and that's how I would think of it.
1: So before we move on to our discussion of Mitch McConnell, we have a word from our sponsor
0: the plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for
1: you. Learn more at UH1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pansu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting... Terms and conditions apply. So today is a good day to talk about Mitch McConnell because today I met Mitch McConnell for the first time.
0: How was that experience for you?
1: Um... Well, you know, he was there for a very good reason. He was there because Paducah has gotten several million dollars from the federal government um, that we have to match in the cost sharing scenario to improve our flood wall maintenance, which is very important to my community. And so I came and I introduced myself to him and I shook his hand. And I told him, thank you, because I am representing the people of Paducah and my personal political views don't matter. But. It wasn't easy, but it was important, I guess, because it's just a good reminder that like he is a real person, just a real guy standing right there, shaking my hand and shorter than I thought he was. And also, I was kind of surprised by how much older he appeared than I expected him to. He's 75. Um, Yeah, he is older, but like, you know, I was kicking it this weekend with my 81 year old grandmother and she looks younger than him. So he um, was very well dressed. He was well spoken. He knows what he's doing. He's been doing this for a long time. You know, I just, you know, tried to do my job and represent the people of Paducah, but I was sort of like looking at him just kind of trying desperately to peer inside that brain I spent so much time thinking about. It didn't really work. but man. We decided to talk about
0: Mitch McConnell today because of an experience that one of our sorority sisters had with him. Sarah and I were Phi news at Transylvania and one of our sorority sisters, Emily ran into him. Sarah, you want to talk about that since you
1: were in touch with her in yeah, real time? Is, yeah. In real time, she texts me and several other sorority sisters um, and say, oh my God, what do I do? And she sends us a picture and she's at a restaurant and Mitch McConnell is sitting, dining, drinking a martini, not bourbon, just for petty judgment's sake. I want to point that out. This um, is in Louisville, right? Louisville, in Louisville Kentucky. Yeah. And he is there and she's like, what should I do? What should I do? Her husband does not want her to say anything. I, of course, uh, and the rest of my sorority sisters are like, you have to say something. You have to say something. I said, you know. Disabled protesters laid down in the halls of the Senate, desperately trying to get heard by him. So you cannot in good conscience pass up a chance to say something. Um, my friend Elizabeth had the best. She was like, you should go up to him and say, hello, Senator McConnell. I hope you've had a wonderful evening and a lovely meal. We really enjoyed ours. I just wanted to say that I hope that you find it in your heart to represent the people of the state and to make compromises because you're partisan obstruction." Had is, um, oh, she phrased it so well. She was like, Your partisan obstruction is a disgrace, and I wouldn't expect that behavior out of my own children. And I have two boys, and I teach them better than that. And I hope you can basically like suck it up and lead. Have a lovely evening. <laughs> but, um, Emily decided to say, um, she basically said, like, the ACA, how could you try to dismantle the ACA? It served the people of K- Kentucky so well. Uh, I'm just so frustrated by the fact that you seem dead set on doing something that's going to hurt so many Kentuckians. And he just looked her in the eye and walked away. Didn't say a word, which blows my mind. It isn't surprising based
0: on everything that I read today about Mitch McConnell and how frequently he's willing to just stare across the table at opponents and say nothing. That seems to be his M.O.,
1: Listen, that's a superpower in of itself. I give him credit for that.
0: If you Google him, three quotes come up and one of them took my breath away. This is something Mitch McConnell actually said. Things happen in American politics in the political center. If the president will meet us in the center, there are things we can accomplish. <laughs> and as I read about his career, which I had some sense of because he has been our senator since we were toddlers. I saw such an interesting landscape of a person who has talked in Washington about certain principles that play well on the national stage for the red meat crowd while bringing home lots of pork to Kentucky. There is real complexity in the kinds of pork that he's brought home and a lot. It's not surprising that he has spent a lot of money in Paducah because he has publicly talked about his West of I-65 strategy.
1: Mm -hmm. He's
0: kept his stronghold in Kentucky, even though he's won by very narrow margins several times. He has had some real challenges for his seat. But being able to convert on Western Kentucky, which is largely made up of registered Democrats, has kept him uh, empowered. And I grew up in Western Kentucky. Sarah lives there now. It's just really interesting to read about, you know, when he started his career, he helped campaign for the Equal Rights Amendment. He gathered a lot of feminists in Louisville around his campaign. He has certainly not been ideologically pure in any way. And I thought this quote from a Huff Huffington Post piece, there are two really great profiles really yeah. uh, that we'll link in the show notes. But he said, Four years ago, HuffPost reporter Jason Turkis and I spent several weeks profiling McConnell. We found a man with almost no ideological commitments. McConnell believes in power, specifically his own. He is a tactician, not an intellectual leader. His lodestar isn't economist Milton Friedman or James Buchanan. It's Niccolo Machiavelli. And despite his reputation in Washington as a brilliant political mind, McConnell isn't a very accomplished Machiavellian. He has no great federal legislative achievement to bequeath to future generations or at least biographers. His major work to date is his title. After battling to become Senate majority leader, he now needs to decorate his crown. It doesn't particularly matter which jewels he selects, but it will be a very sad crown without any at all. Repealing Obamacare would be a big sparkler. And I just thought that gave a lot of clarifying information about his
1: motivations. I mean, I think that Mitch McConnell, it it seems to me from his biography, um, like his ex-wife is like a feminist scholar and his daughters apparently are very progressive, which uh, what a torturous existence that would be. But I think that, you know, he's he clearly got in it because he was interested in making change and he saw politicians do things and he thought I could do that. I could do a good job. And then somewhere along the way, I think he, you know, I I think part of it is, look, I think he's an excellent tactician, just like they said. I think he knows the rules of the Senate. He learned like he learned that he is not a charmer. He is not a speaker. Like he was not going to have these gifts that certain politicians have that were going to win him elections. And so if he was going to continue to win and continue to rise the ra- ranks, the power, even if, if in the beginning he thought that was because he wanted to do good, it was going to have to be for other reasons. And he figured out what those were. You know, he is famous for his attack ads. He took out a very powerful incumbent when he first won in the Senate with ads they still talk about where he was like, where's what's his name because it was like and he had like hound dogs in the commercials searching for this guy because the guy he was sort of implying that his record wasn't good and he is behind which a was lot false of, by the yeah, way like it, it was false it was
0: completely false
1: but and he does that i mean that's a thing he does a lot in his own campaigns perpetuates a false narrative it's a thing he does with other like with politicians he supports because when he says his west of i-65 strategy that's for the republican party period he Mm -hmm. is he knows every little down ballot race and if they have and he's recruiting all over the country i mean like he is he's got a big vision let's put it that way but i just you know at a certain point i just kind of want to be like like that like those people say like for what for what like even if it's not like even if you don't have some grand you know, strategy of what you think will make America better? Like, what do you want him to write about you when you die that you decimated Senate procedures by stealing a Supreme Court seat and, you know, pushing the nuclear option every time you had a chance? Like, I don't, I don't understand. I really don't. Because if somebody that, that knows the rules that well has to respect them and like, does he really want to be written as the person that really dismantled so many of the important Senate processes that made it the world's greatest deliberative body? Like, I don't, I don't understand. That's what I was trying to peer in his head today. It didn't get me very far.
0: Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Here's what I was thinking about as I was reading about Mitch McConnell today and trying to be open-minded and open-hearted in my reading. In theory, Mitch McConnell has been some of the things that I would on a blank sheet of paper describe as assets for a politician. The more time I spend thinking about politics, the less interested I am in electing people who are pure ideologues. The less interested I am in people who have such interest in their own legacies that they want to go down with their name on some sweeping piece of legislation, long-term consequences be damned. So I don't mind the pragmatic. I don't mind the contradiction, um, which his career is replete with, you know, I think, though, what I do mind is that he doesn't have an ideology. Great. I also don't see any principles. And I'm just coming to this point where I would rather vote for someone who says, look, I don't have a big idea or a big, bold vision or a set of legislative achievements that I want to push through. What I want is to operate with intellectual curiosity and dignity. And ethics, I want to listen to every opinion and have a considered approach to it. It makes me think about the Baker versus Carr episode of More Perfect that you were talking about the last time we recorded, Sarah, and how um, they were talking about how it kind of broke a couple of the justices because they were wrestling so much with those questions. I would respect Mitch McConnell if he had no jewels in his crown, save for the fact that he wrestled with different decisions. But the public hasn't allowed him to do that a lot because of the Tea Party. I mean, he's watched people like Dick Luger, who he greatly respected, go home for being nuanced, you mm. know, and and so he's a complex figure. I would not vote for him again. I have voted for him every time he's been on the ballot. And I would not, again, because of the Merrick Garland situation principally and the way that he's continued to conduct himself in the Trump era. But he has an opportunity still to be the kind of leader that I wish he would be. And I I would love to see him seize that and, and turn his legacy around. But I think you're right that at this point, the books will be written that he's the person who broke the Senate.
1: I have not voted for Mitch McConnell a single time. And it's frustrating to go your whole life and feel like the person in the Senate representing this state that you love so much doesn't represent you. And particularly the most frustrating part about me, I know that Mitch McConnell, look, I stood in a press conference today and he got this money in theory for Paducah and it's going to help Paducah. Like I I get the pork barrel spending. I get that he gets these funds for people and that makes a difference in communities. And I'm not saying that that doesn't matter because it does, but you know, it's just hard to see how he cares about Kentucky. And and I don't mean that in an emotional sense. I mean, Mitch McConnell has been our senator since I was three years old for over 30 years, and Kentucky's position is not any better. And at some point, when do we say like, what have you done to help our state? Our, you've been there for so long. Is our state better because you were there? I'm not sure it is. Because for 30 years, you couldn't touch the poverty in eastern Kentucky. For 30 years, you couldn't touch the health care situation in the state until a legislation you fought and a Democratic governor you ran against. finally got something done and got people in the state with healthcare like i don't know it's just it's it, that's the thing it's like i it's not just like what about the, what the history books are going to say to you but like what do you show what do you have to show the people of kentucky except for spending here spending there sending there that moved the needle for them in big ways after because you've been serving them for so long
0: and it's such a contradiction because if you are not a kentuckian You have to be enormously frustrated that Kentucky receives so much federal aid and -hmm. our two senators rail in Washington against federal aid going to anyone. Yep. And so Mitch McConnell has brought enormous amounts of federal dollars into the state of Kentucky without helping the state of Kentucky, which I think goes to the fact that he has brought in money and directed it to places that have helped him win elections. Not places that would help Kentucky move forward as a state. And I don't want to comment on whether that's always been his intention or not. I have no idea. But everything that you, the, the whole picture, I think, shows what the biographers are already writing about him, which is that power is his sole motivation. So I would just say, having lived in his state my entire life, voted for him my entire life, Dear Mitch McConnell,
1: please start to stand for something. Well, and I would like to say, I think part of that is. You he couldn't have done good things for Kentucky that wouldn't have had impact other places. And my guess is the political calculus is I'm not going to let. Other places with Democratic representation get some wins on the board because that means they're more easily reelected. Like, that's my gut instinct is it's never as simple as what will help Kentucky, because God forbid that help California, too. Or God forbid that help a state with Democratic senators. Well, we can't let that happen. Right. And that's why pork barrel so easy is I direct the money very in very distinct ways that help us put wins on the board. But don't do anything big. That might go under a Democratic president's tally as a win or a victory, or a Democratic senator's tally as a win.
0: So you're 75 years old now. You have won. You became the Senate majority leader, which by all accounts was your great aspiration. You turned Kentucky into a Republican state. You even got a Republican governor, which is unheard of. And you have. The presidency and both houses of Congress right now do something good with all of it, like mm-hmm. you you won in spite of all odds you won when your party was becoming fractured in ways that were unimaginable. you navigated all of that, turn it around now, impose accountability on the Republican president, whose platform was the antithesis of everything <laughs> that the Republican Party had been working toward fix health care. I mean, he could do great things now. And I don't know what there is left to win after this. Mm. So have this be the moment when you say, here's what it was all for. And have that not be some like Ayn Rand fantasy, but something that that goes back to this quote about American politics happening in the political center.
1: So dear Mitch, listen to this podcast. We have lots of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Love. Beth Love and Sarah. Beth and Sarah.
0: <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. And we are excited to talk with you again on Tuesday. Until then, please keep your thoughts coming. We've gotten such engaging messages. We continue to have such interesting conversations about healthcare. Please do check out Patreon to help us as we continue to try to build Pantsuit Politics and follow us on social media. Leave us a review on the Apple podcast player if that is the way that you'd like to contribute. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all.